Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. us to uh, look at a passage, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. The King James version of this passage is a very familiar passage recorded in some form in all of the synoptic gospels, the gospels that are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It reads, in the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him, and they say unto him, Master, care thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. I want to share from this passage around the theme of traveling first class. One of the um, more provocative and profound metaphors for the Christian life in the New Testament is that of a traveler, that of a pilgrim. And we are pilgrims, we are travelers, we are moving through time and essentially through eternity from one point to another. I have read this passage over the years many times and never quite saw this thread or this theme in the passage. When you think about first class traveling, there are some words that erupts in your mind or in your spirit around this thought. Words such as amenities, uh, words such as value added, luxury, select, exclusive, are preferred. All of these are words that are associated with the notion of traveling or having some kind of vacation experience that is on a first class level. As I was praying about this message earlier this morning, my mind went back a few years ago to my first trip to South Africa. 
the flight over there on South African Airways was just literally first class, even though I was not a first class passenger. The 18-hour flight was all the more pleasurable because of those conditions. I should have known that that was too good to be true because the flight back was packed. There was more people coming back from South Africa than was going there, and every seat was filled. My seat was in the very back of the plane. It was next to a lavatory, and there was a man sitting next to me who was really too large for the seat that he was sitting in. After I got over my initial response of wanting to bring charges against my travel agent, I began to think that I should have just at least on the return flight paid the extra money in order to experience first class privilege. The disciples at this particular point in time, this season in their ministry, they would not consider that their experience, the events that are recorded in this text would constitute traveling first class. But I think if you interviewed any of them, and I'm going to talk to Peter, James, and John when I get to heaven, I think in hindsight they would tell you that they actually, as they looked back on this in the light of the resurrection, in light of all that Jesus did, that they were truly first class travelers. And when I saw that in the text, I had to ask the text the question, how could this be? How could you even conceive or think of a storm at sea being a first class experience? Because there might be someone who's going through a storm right now. And you must understand, as I must understand, that really to be a child of God, no matter what the condition is, you are traveling first class. Now, I say that at a time when it seems that so many Christians are satisfied with just traveling coach, the coach of materialism, the coach of sensualism, the coach of self-absorption, but we have the privilege and we have the benefit as children of God to be able to see our lives and to see our relationship to God as a first-class experience. There's three things that I want to say to you this morning as we look at this text. How is it that they are traveling first class? Three things I want to share with you. When Jesus, in the first instance, when Jesus directs our course, when Jesus directs our course, we are first class travelers. You know, this trip across the Sea of Galilee, this, this travel experience was not without precedent. There was a divine precedent. When we read the text, it is obvious in the text that Jesus directed the course. Jesus gave the orders for them to pass over to the other side. And so there is this divine unction that selects and seals their destination. And Jesus himself is at the helm of the ship. In fact, he is lying on a cushion in these uh, type of vessels in this era, a kind of rough course 
leather cushion that served as a pillow, but it was in the location of where the steersman or the captain was. Jesus was the governor of the ship. He was the captain of the ship. Unlike the first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John in Cain of Galilee, Jesus shows up at a wedding feast as a guest and not the governor. And any time Jesus comes as a guest and not the one who's in control, the wine will run out. But this trip has Jesus at the helm and it has a transcendent trajectory. What I'm saying is that Jesus is directing the course. Our lives have meaning and significance because we are under the orders of the Lord. Yeah. thought about this and I thought about the prophets of old. This is a common theme. It's a common thread in the life of the prophets. Isaiah, his ministry was conducted. His ministry was carried out under a divine seal, a divine commission because he had responded to the question, who will go for us? And he answered, here am I, send me. Jeremiah, he functioned as a prophet under divine authority, under divine unction, because the Lord told him, even while you were being formed in your mother's womb, I called you to be a prophet. Amos was but a picker of sycamore fruit, but God called him and he said, how can anyone speak unless the Lord first speak to him? And then Paul, even while he faced martyrdom, it was this anchor that held him, this sense of divine unction that God was directing his course. He says, I know whom I believed, not what I believed. He says, I know whom I believe and I know he's able to keep that which I've committed unto his hand against that day. In fact, Paul's calling to ministry was so significant that he recounts it three times in the book of Acts. How on the road to Damascus, the Lord reordered, refocused his life and set him on another course. These disciples on this stormy sea, and I pray this is your experience today, they were not there by accident. They were not there by coincidence. They were there because God said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Let us cross over to the other side. One of the greatest sermons in Christian history was preached in the 19th century by a preacher named Horace Bushnell. And the sermon title was, Every Man's Life, and by inference, Every Woman's Life, a plan of God. You're traveling first class. If there is deep in the interior of your spirit a sense that whatever you do and whatever you're doing, it is under divine authority that you are moving at the command of Jesus Christ. You're traveling first class. In the second instance, when Jesus develops our character, not just when he directs our course, but when he develops our character. You see, the storm was provisional, preparatory. He spends the greater part of his public ministry preparing the disciples to assume the mantle of leadership once he's gone. And so everything had a purpose. 
as he called the disciples alongside of him. And just as it is in our life, even storms have a purpose. Don't ever give the devil so much power that you think he can just have a storm in your life without God's permission. Nothing happens in this universe without either God's direct permission or his permissive will. We are shaken and rattled sometimes when we think, well, if I'm in the will of God, if he's directing my course, then everything's going to be all right. But often when we decide to make Jesus our choice, we'll find ourselves in the midst of a storm. If your storm hadn't come, just keep on living. Your storm is on the way. Because there are some things that God can do in a storm that he can't do when it's sunshine. God has a way of taking us to a whole nother level in the midst of a storm. The disciples were disturbed by the development, but they were also developed by the disturbance. They were disturbed, obviously when you read the text, we find them being disturbed by the development, but they were also developed by the disturbance. Marvin Sapp had a disturbance in his life, and he said, I never could have made it. And then he gets to that part in the song when he says, when I look back at it, I'm stronger, I'm wiser, and I'm better. How many of you can say that, that you are traveling first class because even in the midst of the storm, God developed your character? See, it's one thing to know the 23rd Psalm. Is another thing to live it. When you go through something, you can say it and you can believe it on a whole deeper level. God, like a master photographer, master photographers develop their pictures in the dark room, not in the light. They go into the dark room and, and they develop their pictures. And what God wants to develop in our lives, sometimes it's through the storm. It's in the dark room of our trials and tribulations that he develops our character. So you're not tested when the waters is calm. You're not tested when the sun is shining. It's when the wind, I wish I had a witness in here, when the wind is blowing and your vessel is being rocked and reeled on a stormy sea of life that God develops character. Life is just like the Sea of Galilee. It was susceptible to storms. The mountainous regions around it, the caverns, the ravines, only served as natural turbines that would increase the velocity and the force of the wind. And when it hits that water, which was 650 feet below sea level, storms would often come up out of nowhere. These men were disturbed by the development. They're, they're not novices. They are fishermen. They, they are used to being on the sea. But see, God develops our character. When we're traveling first class, when he takes us out of our comfort zone and calls us to be more dependent on him. And so they were traveling first class not only because Jesus directed their course, not only because Jesus developed their character, 
But there's another reason they were traveling first class, because Jesus discerned their cries. When Jesus discerns our cries, we are first class travelers. What marvels me when I read this passage is that the bolts of lightning did not wake him. The roar of the thunder did not wake him. The shower of the waves did not wake him. The turbulence of the ship did not wake him. But the cries of his children. I don't know who said it that night. I don't know who said it. But, but somebody said, Master, careth thou not. Real praying is just being honest with God. Real prayer gets us out of our conjugations of, of verb and subject. Real prayer get us out of our cuteness. Real prayer get us out of us trying to impress God. Real prayer is just having a talk with Jesus. And they say, Master, don't you care? We're doing what you asked us to do. You said cross over, and here you are in this ship. Sleep. Don't tell me this morning that there haven't been times in your life when you felt like Jesus was asleep. None of those natural upheavals awoke him. But when his children cried out, won't you try waking up Jesus? I don't know what you're going through, but just call on him. I'm telling you, he'll wake up. If you think he's sleeping in the midst of your voyage, in the midst of your experience, just call him and he'll wake up. There's a movement that I have to share with you. When we call on him, he will arise. In verse 37, it says, the storm arose. Sometimes we read the word of God too fast, and we miss these subtleties. In verse 37, it says, the storm arose. In verse 39, it says, he Arose. What we miss in translation is in verse 37 when it says the storm arose. The Greek word for arose has the storm came to life. It had a beginning. In other words, it, every storm has a shelf life. Y'all do know that. No, no storm lasts forever. So when it says the storm arose, it says the storm began. It had a beginning. But then when it goes to verse 39... And it says, he arose. It's not the same word. The word that's used in he arose, that word has to do, and it's often used in other places in the New Testament, to relate to the resurrection. In other words, the inference here is what's happening is he arose, he who always was. He who always was. He just woke up from his sleep. He, he was always there. But when they called on him, he got up. He arose. He arose. He, he arose in his eternal essence. He rose in his unlimited power. Because see, on one level, there is this literal, this literal focus in the text. Yes, he did get up. And he did speak peace to the storm. That should not surprise you that he could speak to the waves and the wind because he spoke to them in Genesis and called them into existence. It should not surprise you that he would speak to the water 
and the water would obey because one night when the disciples was out, he spoke to the water and said, now I want you to convert to your solid state because I need a sidewalk to take me over to the ship. It should not surprise you because the first miracle he performed in Cana of Galilee, there was a situation where the wine ran out at the wedding feast and Jesus said, now just fill the water pot with water. And Jesus spoke to the water said, I need you to change your chemical composition. And the water transformed and became the best wine that's ever been made. Do I have a witness? Well, you see, there is this literal meaning, and we should not be surprised that the one who is the creator of the universe can stand up in the midst of a storm and say, peace, be still, and put a gag order on the trial and the turbulence of that night. But there's another focus as well that I think has a far more universal import because Jesus was crossing over to the other side of the Father's favor. And in order to do so, he had to go through a storm called Calvary. It's the greatest storm that the universe has ever experienced. There on that hill called Calvary, there was a cataclysmic upheaval when the forces of evil met the forces of good. And there was turbulence all over the land. I know I'm right about it because the Bible said that the earth rocked and reeled like a drunken man. But on that stormy sea, when he stretched wide and they dropped him lower and hung him higher, the disciples said, it's all over now. The master has gone to sleep and there's no more hope for humanity. But I got good news. That's why we're here this morning. A Sunday morning, he got up. Yes, he did. You thought getting up in that ship and saying, peace be still, was something. But early Sunday morning, he shook off grave clothes and he shook off death. And he got up. Didn't he get up? The same God that said, peace be still. He got up with all power. All power. And because he got up, I'm a first-class traveler. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org. For more information about us and to obtain resources provided by TD Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.